Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning again, guys. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to introduce myself. My name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor. Uh, on eldership with my wife, Ebony. You got to see her earlier and the incredible Herrick and Heather Berga. Would love to get to know you in person, shake your hand, wish you a happy Easter this morning. But man, what a beautiful, beautiful Easter Sunday it is. I'm so thrilled that you would join us. Yeah, I love the woots. Thanks, guys. Woo! Some Ric Flair woos. Um, so Herrick tried to do this earlier and half of the room understood what he was doing, which is wonderful. But... What the, what the Christian church has done for, I don't know, thousands of years is there's a tradition on Easter morning. And the tradition is like a, a classic call and response, okay? And the call and response is someone would say he is risen, referring to Jesus, right? Rising from the dead. We're celebrating his resurrection this morning. Someone would say he is risen, and the response to that is he is risen indeed, okay? So we did this earlier, but I feel like... I feel like it was not strong enough. I feel like it was kind of weak. So let's kind of redeem this. This is the, Easter's about redemption. So maybe we can redeem that he is risen. So let's try it again. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. Well done, everybody. Awesome. So Easter Sunday. This is the, the most important day in the history of the world. That's what we're celebrating. It's, an, it's incredible. We're celebrating the resurrection, from Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, pretty spectacular thing that we're celebrating this morning. And again, the Christian faith, it's this reality that the creator of the universe, God Almighty, put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came to earth on a mission. And his mission was to live the perfect life that you and I never could live and to die the death that we deserve in our place. And it's this idea of, of God being our substitute, our, our, our great substitute. Why? In order to make wrong what you and what I make, or I'm sorry, in order to make right, that wouldn't have gone well. In order to make right what you and I make wrong. It's this beautiful reality that the choices that you and I have made in our lives have been oftentimes choices of resisting or rejecting, or rebelling against God, sinning against him, and sinning against others. And that God, in his kindness and in his grace, has every right to just go, okay, go away then. I'm done with you. You want to resist me a thousand million times. But he doesn't. He goes on a rescue mission. Again, to live the perfect life that you and I never could as our substitute to make right what we've made wrong and to die the death that we deserve in our place as our great substitute because of his terrific, spectacular love for you and for me. That's the essence of Christianity, right? That's the gospel. If you've heard, if you heard that phrase, that word, the gospel, what the gospel means is it means joyful good news. The gospel is not advice, right? It's not advice about what you need to do to become a better person. There's plenty of books out there that you can read for that. There's plenty of like self-help gurus that can go like, here's some advice for you that you need to become a better person. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel's news, it's news about what Jesus did, not about something and advice that you need to do. And not just about what Jesus did, but what that means for us, what that means for you. And so here's the thing, why do I say that? The reason I say that is because this morning being Easter, right? We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, hear me, Christianity is pointless. If there's not the resurrection of Jesus, it means that Jesus is a fraud, Without the resurrection of Jesus, it would mean that we worship a dead Jewish rabbi who lied about who he was. That's, that's silly. That, that would be pointless, right? So Christianity 
it hinges on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. It hinges on whether or not Easter, what we celebrate, is actually true. Not kind of metaphorically or figuratively, but literally, right? Christianity hinges on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. And that resurrection is what Christians have been celebrating on Easter Sunday for 2,000 years. The literal, physical resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so I see some new faces. So glad that you're joining us this morning. I want to kind of give you a roadmap of what you can expect for the rest of the morning, okay? I'm going to talk for a bit, probably like two and a half hours or so. You just sit tight. You're going to have to wait for lunch. No, I won't talk near that long, okay? I'll talk for a bit, and then when I finish up, we're only going to enjoy a moment of reflection, and then we're going to conclude our gathering this morning by going right out those doors and celebrating baptism of the handful of people that are getting baptized this morning. So I am fired up about that. Okay. Now, for... I love this is like the wobbly stand. If it falls over, it's a wonderful memory. Um, okay, for today's message... What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through some scripture found in Matthew's gospel. It's in the New Testament, okay? Uh, Matthew, he was one of Jesus' original followers, one of his original 12 disciples. And the reason I say it's Matthew's gospel, it's it's his gospel account. And remember, gospel is joy, it means joyful good news. So it's, it's Matthew reporting good news from his eyewitness account, the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' ministry, right? He's an eyewitness. So, for some of you, the passage that I'm going to read this morning, it might be a passage that you've read a hundred times. Maybe for you, this will be the first time that you read it, but either way, whatever camp you find yourself in, hear me. I'm confident in something this morning. I'm confident there's something specifically here, personally here for each of us that's good news. You with me? All right, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and grab that. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, don't don't sweat it. The uh, incredible men in the back are gonna throw it up on the screen for us. Shout out to Harry. Shout out to David for serving us this morning on Easter Sunday. Love you guys. Matthew chapter 28, I'm in the Christian Standard Bible translation, so if you don't have that translation, it might be just best for you to follow along on the screen, because it can kind of be like funky if you're reading it in your Bible. So here's the word of God. Before I jump in, I want to pray before we jump into God's scriptures, so will you join me in prayer? Spirit of God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to be together. I think about how busy life can be sometimes and how often I miss out on just how precious every single moment is. And I thank you for this moment that we get to be together, celebrating you, who you are, what you've done, and the good news So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use me this morning to encourage um, these precious men and women in the room. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you desire for each of us. So Lord, we look to you now. Teach us. Show us the beauty of Jesus. Encourage us this morning. I pray for any weary hearts, any uncomfortable hearts in the room. I pray that supernaturally they would feel at home in your presence. I love you, Jesus. So... So grateful for you. Thank you for being so kind to me. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1. But before we start, I want to bring you up to speed in the narrative this far, okay? Because this is the last chapter in the the book of Matthew. And typically, it's not, not the best thing to do to just jump to the last chapter of any story of any book. But either way, because we're jumping into the last chapter, I want to bring you up to speed what's happened so far, okay? So... Sure. I, it's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. Thanks, baby. My wife, she loves me. Isn't that great? Love you, baby. So, bring you up to speed this far, okay? 20th chapter of Matthew. So, at this point, Jesus has already been betrayed, right, by his inner circle, right? He's been abandoned by his inner circle. And even though he's, he's completely innocent, he's captured, he's, he's tortured brutally, 
and then he's publicly shamed and he's murdered via crucifixion. You got most everybody in the room probably knows the story, right? And most everybody in the room, you probably are, are somewhat familiar with crucifixion. It's the, you know, you nailed in your hands and your feet into basically beams of wood, which is just kind of gruesome. It's pretty gross. But here's the thing about crucifixion is I would argue, I don't know if I can think of a more horrific way to die. Um, and here's one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why is because it's not really the, like the, 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 the bleeding that takes your life. It's, it's you suffocate. So not only you have like this really deep agonizing pain because, you know, nails in your hands and your feet, but to, in order to, like you're, you're, you're up on the cross and in order to breathe, you have to push down on your feet that are nailed together in order to get up there and take a breath. And then you can't, so the way that, that most people would perish on via crucifixion isn't from the bleeding, it's from like suffocating. And typically it would take days for people hanging on a cross. It would take days for them to die. So just gruesome, gross, awful, okay? So this is this has already taken place, right? Jesus has already been crucified. Um, and then he's buried. He's buried in a tomb outside, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still there, Middle East. I've been there, it's crazy. So that's already taken place. All that's already happened with where we're gonna jump in here. Now, the cross happened on a Friday. Anybody know what, what this last Friday was? Good Friday, yeah. So Good Friday is the, uh, it's on the Christian calendar. It's, it's to commemorate the Friday that Jesus was crucified, all right? So Jesus crucified on a Friday, and then what we're going to pick up here this, this morning, we're going to pick things up here in Matthew chapter 8, chapter 28, verse 1, is that's early Sunday morning, all right? That's where we're at when we, we start reading here in verse 1. Follow along with me. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1, it says this. After the Sabbath, the Sabbath was Saturday, Shabbat, right? The Jewish, the Jewish day of rest. After the Sabbath, Saturday, as the first day of the week was dawning, that's Sunday in their culture, right? So it's basically Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Pause for a second. So these women, where are they going? They're going to Jesus' grave site. Now, uh, being a pastor, I've spent plenty of time at various grave sites, um, whether it's for a funeral or whether it's for a visitation or whatever. Anybody in the room, you ever visited a loved one in the cemetery before? Thank you. Thank you. Like nothing about it seems right. Ever. Nothing about it seems right. Like the weight of the reality of death is inescapable at the gravesite of somebody that you love. It's like this unavoidable reminder of what's been taken from you. It's unsettling, it's painful, it's hard. And if you're anything like me or like most people, I would say, is we like to, we, we like to keep the reality of death like as far away from us as we possibly can. We don't want to think about it. And here's the problem. You can't really do that at a cemetery now, can you? It's really hard to stay comfortably numb to death while you're visiting the gravesite of somebody that you love. For these women, their entire world has been turned upside down. Can we just kind of humanize them for a second? Can we kind of put ourselves in their shoes? We pre- I preached on mercy a couple weeks ago, this idea of putting another person on, essentially kind of like walking a mile in their shoes. Can we do that for these women for just a second? Like their whole world has been turned upside down. Their Messiah, their Christ. Messiah and Christ is the same thing. It basically just means promised Savior. Okay, so their Savior is dead. Now, their Savior being Jesus. When I say that Jesus was their Savior, what I mean was that he was the one. Like, he was the one they looked to to give their life meaning, to give their life purpose. And death has seemingly taken him away. Hear me out. You know exactly how they feel. 
You know exactly how these, these women feel. All of us, every single person in this room, myself included, we all have things in our lives that we look to to save us, don't we? To give our lives meaning, to give our lives purpose, things that make our life worth living. You with me? Question for you this morning, before we continue in this passage, what is that for you? You know what it is for me oftentimes? Comfort. I really like being comfortable. I really enjoy being comfortable. What is it for you? The thing that gives your life meaning or purpose? Maybe for some of you, it's control. You don't like things to happen outside of your control. I, like, I just kind of like to be, no, I'm not a control figure. I just kind of like to know what's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe for others, it's the, it's the approval of people. The approval of people in your life. Like you want people to like you. There's nothing wrong with that, right? The approval of others. For some of you, maybe it's money. Maybe for others, it's your career. For others, maybe it's a relationship. We all have these functional saviors, all right? And by functional savior, what I mean is I mean something that functions as your savior, right? The thing or the person that gives your life meaning or purpose or significance. Do you even know what it is for you? So these women, guys, you know exactly how they feel. You want to know how I know that you know exactly how they feel? Because you lived through 2020. You lived in 2021. Goodness. You lived through these last two years. And in these last two years, all of us, we all watched many of our functional saviors die. Those of you guys with the functional savior of comfort like me, when, when the comfortable suburban life becomes anything but comfortable, quarantines, distance learning. How many of you guys love distance learning? Oh, so t- that, was so, that was so uncomfortable for like every single parent. Shutdowns, right? All the things. A functional savior dies. Or it becomes really clear that you have practically no control over a virus. And you also don't have any control on how the other people around you handle it. A functional savior dies. Or how about this one? Or when you hold different views or opinions than the people close to you. And as a result, they don't approve of you as much as they did before. And the next thing you know, there's like division in the relationship. And a functional savior dies, in that case, approval. Or when your money doesn't have the same purchasing power that it once did. How's inflation treating everybody in the room? You guys loving it? Isn't it great? Inflation, supply chain issues. A functional savior dies when your money can't deliver you what you want. I've seen this one happen too when you realize that the career that you've worked so hard to build is way more fragile than you ever thought it would be. A functional savior dies. Friends, it's incredibly painful to face the death of a savior, even a functional one. So, you know exactly how these women feel. So here they are at the gravesite of their dead savior, Let's keep reading. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. Pause again for a second. Why are there guards at Jesus' tomb? You see, the authorities that crucified Jesus, that organized his murder, what they did was they placed guards in this massive stone in front of the tomb because they were aware of Jesus' claim, okay? What Jesus did was he claimed that he'd be killed, and he also claimed that after three days, he'd raise from the dead, okay? Can we all agree? Again, that's a really bold claim, okay? 
you can maybe claim to know who's going to win the Super Bowl or March Madness, or you might be able to even claim to know like what's going to happen with the price of Bitcoin even. Wow, bold claim. But to claim that you're going to be raised from the dead, that's wild. Can we just, please, can we just agree? Like resurrection from the dead, anybody ever seen it? It's, it's a bold claim. So these authorities, they're worried. They're worried that one of Jesus' followers is going to come and take his body and then spread word that Jesus is raised from the dead. So that's why they put the guards there and the big stone there to keep that from happening. But what happens? The guards, they encounter the angel. They totally freak out. Let's keep reading verse 5. The angel told the women, listen to this, don't be afraid. If you have a you have a pen on you? Underline that. Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. I love that. Just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Verse 8. So departing quickly from the tomb, these women, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them saying, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. There it is again. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, Galilee and they will see me there. Pause again. Again, let's put ourselves in the shoes of these women. These women, they came to the tomb expecting to find death. But what do they find? They find Jesus alive. Now, hear me out. This is, this is worth noting, okay? If Matthew, the author of this gospel account, if Matthew's writing to convince ancient readers that, there's, that this like actually happened, that this account is factual, that this is real, and he's writing to get them to believe that this is true, one of the most foolish things that he could have done was to say that the first people to encounter the risen Jesus were women. You gotta understand something. In this culture 2,000 years ago, women were like extremely marginalized. Ladies in the room, you don't need me to tell you this, but you know exactly what it feels like to be marginalized. The society around you consistently treating you less than just because you're a woman. Am I wrong? As frustrating as that is, as wrong as that is, hear me out. It was so much worse 2,000 years ago. Women were basically treated like property. In the first century, when this was written and all this went down, women weren't even eligible to testify in court. Like, do you know what that means? That means, culturally speaking, their testimony was worthless. So hear me. Why on earth, in a culture that placed so little, like, I'd say little to no value on the testimony of women, why would Matthew say that women were the first to encounter the risen Jesus? Maybe because it actually happened. Maybe because that's just what happened. And even though it's not the most convenient narrative to the culture at the time, it's the truth. Let me read you a quote from someone way smarter than me. He says this, quote, this background, this idea of that the women were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, this background matters because it points to two crucial truths. Listen to this. First, it is a theological reminder that the kingdom of the Messiah, Christ, Savior, Jesus, heaven, God, the kingdom of God, turns the system of the world on its head. 
Into this culture, Jesus radically affirmed the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. That's the first thing. The second thing, it is a powerful apologetic reminder of the historical accuracy of the resurrection accounts. If these women, I'm sorry, if these were cleverly devised myths, women would never have been presented as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, end quote. I don't want anybody to miss what's happening here. Reading the Bible quickly is fine. Reading the Bible slowly, a lot of stuff starts to come to the surface. And I don't want you to miss what's happening here. Ladies, the culture that you're living in currently, it puts a lot of pressure on you. And hear me, the message that you're constantly being fed, women, the message that you're constantly being fed is evil. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You're not enough. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You're not capable enough. Listen to me. This passage, it tells us that the God of the universe has something to say about that. The whole you're not enough thing is a lie from the pit of hell. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he makes something really clear here. He makes it very plainly clear that to him, you're more than enough. I love what Jesus does here. I have two daughters, man. I love what Jesus does here. Not only does he include women, he dignifies women. Do you know what it means to dignify? You know what being dignified means? It means worthy of respect. In a culture that marginalized and disrespected women, Jesus does the exact opposite. So just, ladies, hear me out. The next time culture disrespects you as a woman to marginalize you, remember something. Remember that the Lord of all creation dignifies you. All right. What we see here with these women is a snapshot of what happens in the life of a Christian disciple, okay? I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but the premise here is not to go on a rant about women. It's to put ourselves in the shoes of what's happening in this passage. And where we're at currently is it's involving these two women whose lives have been flipped upside down. And what we see here with these two women is a snapshot of what happens in the life of a Christian disciple. Now, the word disciple, it means learner. That's, that's, what it, that's what it means. So a Christian disciple, here's our definition of a Christian disciple. A Christian disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of their life. Not like just when you come to a church gathering, like Herrick mentioned. The church is the family of God. The church is not an event. The church is not a building. The church is not a business. The church is not a non- nonprofit organization. The church is the family of God. It's people who relate to Almighty God as Father, and that has implications on how they relate to each other, namely as brothers and sisters. That's what the church is, what the family of God is. A disciple, a Christian disciple, is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus amongst other Christian disciples. You with me? Okay. Now, if you followed the news lately, you guys know this. There's seemingly no shortage of scandal in the news involving Christian leaders. Uh, This is a tangent for me, but I just want to say it. Whenever you see pastors or church leaders in the news, right, getting busted for doing sketchy stuff, moral failures, misrepresenting Jesus, hear me. It happens... Because somewhere along the way, they stopped enjoying Jesus, obeying Jesus, and operating like Jesus. 
In other words, they departed from the way of Jesus. Discipleship's for everyone. There's no hierarchy. It's for all of us. But hear me, what happens with these women isn't a departure. It's discipleship. It's the process that actually happens with all Christian disciples. Check it out. Look back at the passage. I'll break it down. What happens with these women? They're confronted with who God is and with what he's done. They're they're confronted with that reality. They're confronted with who he is and what he's done. They're confronted with, oh, wow, he keeps his word. He he did exactly what he said he was going to do. That means he's trustworthy. Right? They're confronted with the reality that he's powerful. He rose from the dead. Nothing more powerful has ever been done, right? He's gracious. They're confronted with that reality that he, he forgives sin and he gives us his per, offers us uh, his perfect righteousness as a gift, the perfect report card. And they're confronted with the reality that he's not dead. He's alive. One theologian says, he's out there somewhere. These, these women, they're confronted with who God is and with what he's done. And then what happens? They respond with faith. This is the life of every Christian disciple on display. They respond with faith. They're confronted with who God is and with what he's done. And they respond with faith. Now, in the Bible, faith is, is it's very closely related to belief, but they're different. Okay? Now, Maybe you've heard the, the phrase believer before and around church circles. Oh, he's a believer. She's a believer. Um, not the Imagine Dragons song. I'm talking about like the, the kind of church culture thing. You've heard this phrase, believer, right? It's referencing a Christian. It's referencing a disciple of Jesus, a person of faith, not just in anything, but a faith in Jesus. But hear me, when the Bible speaks about belief, it's different than what most modern Western people think of. Most modern Western people, they think of belief as acknowledging that something is true. Like believing in something. And hear me, that's, of course, that's part of it. Okay? But belief is far more than acknowledging that something is true. It's far more than acknowledging that something is real. How many of you guys know believing in God is different than believing God? You can acknowledge that something exists without necessarily trusting Believing in God is different than believing God, right? If you ever read the book of James, heavy book, uh, if you ever read the book of James, he talks about how the demons believe in God. They know he's, he's real, but belief, it's more than acknowledging that something is true. It's more than acknowledging that something is real. It involves confidence and trust, okay? And here's the thing, true belief, stay with me, true belief always informs what you do not just what you know, okay? Belief, it influences your behavior. Let me show you. Uh, I asked you before, anybody know what last Friday was? And you, most of the room said, good Friday. Do you know what else last Friday was? It'd be really cool if somebody knew this. Good guess. Okay, so last Friday was the 90th anniversary of the Titanic. 't of you knew that. Uh, the 90th anniversary of the Titanic. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the real thing, okay? The unsinkable ship, the Titanic, right? Titanic was believed to be the unsinkable ship. And so I, I, I saw it come up that it was the, the anniversary of that. And I just kind of read about it for a little bit. And so you have this unsinkable ship, right? It leaves a port in England and it heads down to France pick up some more people. And then it heads over to Ireland, pick up some more people. And it's on its way to New York City, across the Atlantic. And then right in the middle of the Atlantic, you guys know the story. What does it hit? What? Iceberg. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, stay with me. I can't tell. It's like weird. Uh, You guys want to go to sleep and eat lunch. I get it. Easter brunch. So it hits the iceberg. And the unsinkable ship sinks to the bottom of the ocean. 3,300 passengers on board. 
half of the passengers are killed. Do you know why? You see, the Titanic was, it had the ability, the capability, I should say, it was able to fit up to 64 lifeboats on, on board. But the operators of the Titanic, they opted to only put 20 lifeboats on the Titanic. You see, the ship looks a whole lot nicer if there's only 20 lifeboats on it, right? You, from the deck, you have unobstructed views. It's way, it's, way, it's way more, it's prettier. Here's the thing. Those operators, they knew that the 20 lifeboats was only enough, had only enough space for half of the passengers. They knew that. So why on earth did they set sail with only 20 when they had space for 64, knowing that it would only, they only had enough space for half of the passengers? Why would they do that? Because they believed that the ship was unsinkable. If, if the ship's unsinkable, why not just ditch the 40 lifeboats? The ship looks more impressive, right? The passengers have a better time. They can see more unobstructed views from the deck. Hear me out. What you believe always influences your behavior. And therefore, your behavior always reveals what you actually believe. You tracking with me? These women, they're confronted with who God is and with what he's done. And how do we know they responded with faith? because of their behavior, because of what they did in response. And what does it say they do? It says they fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. And then they did what he told them to do. In other words, they enjoyed him and they obeyed him. You see it? What a person believes influences their behavior. And your behavior reveals what you actually believe. Friends, this is what the Bible calls faith. It's when trust gives birth to action. It's belief on display through behavior. All right, you want a working definition of biblical faith? Biblical faith is believing God, not just believing in God. Believing God, that's trust, right? Believing God by acting in obedience to God. That's faith. It's way more than just acknowledging that something's true or that something is real. There's those three ingredients. I'm going to give them to you again. The three ingredients of faith are, we see it with these women. Trust, which is believing God, not just believing in. Trust, action, obedience. The trust piece, believing God. The action piece, it's behavior. It's that trust on display through what you actually do. And it's obedience. It's not just any action. It's acting in obedience to God's desire. It's like what what Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. It's obedience. Those are the three ingredients of faith, right? Trust, action, and obedience. These women, all three, all three, they trusted God by acting in obedience to God. They responded in faith. All right, let's finish off our passage. I'm almost done. Uh, Verse 11. As they, that they they are the women, as they are on their way, again, they're going to tell the other disciples, Jesus is risen from the dead. We saw him. He said greetings to us. And he told us to come tell you. As they're on their way, some of the guards, remember they're the ones that were like dead men, freaked out, saw the angel, Right? Some of the guards came into the city, Jerusalem, and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. The chief priests were the ones who organized the murder of Jesus. So the guards come back to the chief priests. They report to them everything that had happened. Verse 12, the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan. They gave the soldiers, the guards, a large sum of money and told them, say this, His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. 
They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. So, these religious leaders, what do they do? They bribed the guards in order to spread what? A lie. Instead of dealing with the truth, or at least like investigating it further, they deny it. And in the process, they forfeit or deny a greater understanding of reality. And what they do is they construct a false reality that's more convenient for them getting the desires of their heart. In this case, preserving their power. Guys, these are the religious leaders. Like, they're the people with the most influence for God. These are the ones that talk from a platform on religious holidays. And yet these are the ones who abandon God's ways. Honesty, out the window. Integrity, out the window. These are the ones that depart. It's a departure from God's ways. Friends, question of the morning. Why did they do it? Why did they do it? Because all of us look to a savior. All of us look to a savior. All of us look to something or someone to give our life meaning and purpose and significance. And for these religious leaders, it was what? It was power. And that power was a functional savior that they were not willing to stop worshiping. Worship, what it, mean, what it literally means is it means to ascribe ultimate worth. That's what worship is. We humans, hear me, we are experts at worship. Experts at worship. We're experts at ascribing worth to things, ultimate worth to things and to people. We do it every single moment of our lives. Hear me, you and I, we've been doing it all day. You're doing it right now. All right, I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. You guys doing all right? You still with me? You're so close to Easter brunch, I promise. Actually, we probably missed brunch, didn't we? Yeah, you're going to have to have Easter lunch or an early Easter dinner. I'm sorry. All of us are experts at worship, ascribing ultimate worth. So, these women, these women, they responded to the resurrection. Okay, these women responded to the resurrection as disciples. The religious leaders, on the other hand, they responded to the resurrection as deniers. We're comparing and contrasting those women that we put ourselves in their shoes, right? They responded as disciples. The religious leaders responded as deniers. Hear me out. Both parties responded in faith. Both parties responded with faith. Both parties revealed their beliefs through their behavior. Both parties responded by trusting in a savior. My friend, hear me. Can I ask you in love? What's your response to the resurrection of Jesus? You can respond as a disciple or you can respond as a denier. And listen to me, what matters is not so much about what you think. What matters infinitely more is how you respond with action. It's what you do. Because what a person believes influences their what? Their behavior. And your behavior reveals what you actually believe. See, the truth is, every single day, multiple times throughout the day, every single one of us chooses a savior. Something or someone to give our life meaning, to give our life purpose, to give our life significance. 
You want to know what all saviors have in common? Even functional ones? All saviors, they demand something of you. They demand that you die to yourself. They demand that you lay down your life and make them the most important thing. In other words, all saviors demand that you worship them, that you ascribe ultimate worth to them. You ever met someone who, for them, money is like the most important thing? They've ascribed ultimate worth to money because every savior demands that you worship it. Hear me. All saviors have that in common. Jesus is no different. He's no different. But listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please listen to me. What makes Jesus so beautiful and so worthy is that Jesus is the only Savior with holes in his hands. Jesus is the only Savior willing to bleed for you. He's the only Savior who says, no one takes my life from me, I willingly lay it down. That's John 10, verse 18. Jesus is the only Savior who's willing to lay his life down for you. Easter. The resurrection of Jesus. Easter. It means that Jesus is the only Savior worthy of your worship. Other saviors, functional saviors, they may deliver for a little while. But hear me, it's only a matter of time until they die on you. Jesus is the only savior whose love for you is so great that he dies for you. All other saviors die on you, Jesus dies for you. That's what Easter's about. Easter means he's the only savior who cannot be taken away from you. Not even death can separate you from his love. You realize how incredible that is? The apostle Paul, he wrote about this. This is what he says. Uh, He wrote about this uh, in Romans chapter eight, verse 38 and 39. Just listen for just a moment. Paul says, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, Easter, Verse 38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friend, do you know that kind of love? Do you know that kind of love? I'm not asking how long you've been a Christian. I'm asking about you this morning, today. Do you know that kind of love? I'm not asking if you know about it. I'm asking if you know it. Can you taste it? Are you experiencing it? Because it's available to you. I don't know if you know this, but the tomb's empty. Can you taste it? Don't you want to? Don't you want it? Your heart aches for it every day. To be known and loved. You were made for it because you were made for him. To enjoy him, to obey him, to operate like him forever. So, Easter 2022. What's your response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Let me pray for us. I'm just going to wait on the spirit, see if he wants to highlight anything or anybody. I feel like the spirit's highlighting that some of you in the room, you feel like you need to try harder. 
Like, man, I, I, I haven't been doing the right thing and I haven't been living the way I'm supposed to. I feel like the Spirit wants to remind you that this isn't advice about what you need to do to become a better person. This is news about what God Almighty has done in your place and what he offers you, namely himself. He's the one that cleanses. He's the one that transforms. He's the one that makes new. And he offers himself freely. Some of you in the room, you just need peace. Some of you feel like your rap sheet is too much. Lie. Lie. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His blood's strong enough to cleanse every single part of who you are, every cell in your body redeemed. So Holy Spirit, I pray that every single one of us in this room would receive a greater portion of your love, not because we're worthy. I shouldn't say that. Not because we deserve it, but because you say we're worth it. And because you're almighty God, you get to determine what is real. You get to determine what is true. You determine our worth. And you say we are worthy of of bleeding for, of dying for, and of raising for to, to prove to us your power and your love and your grace. So I pray for every single one of us, whether, whether they've been a part of the church for decades or whether they haven't, that every single one of us would receive the reality of your love that's on display Easter Sunday. Show us, Holy Spirit, teach us. Make us disciples, not deniers. Sadly, the church is filled with deniers. How do we know? Behavior. Lord Jesus, get rid of any arrogance in my heart. Fill me with only humility. I'm not better than anybody else. I need your grace and your mercy. I deny you. I was bitter with my wife this morning. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness that you offer to each of us freely every single day so that when we recognize that we're living as deniers, we can receive your gracious invitation to live as disciples once again. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for new life. Thank you that your mercies are new every single morning, especially on Easter. We praise you. Show us the way. You're worthy, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, for the next five to 10 minutes, I want to encourage you. You can sit here, you can stand here, but I want to encourage you to just take a moment of reflection. Even if you sit in silence, what the band's going to do is they're going to lead us, they're going to serve us in a, in a, in a moment of, of praise. So for those of you guys that haven't been journeying with us, you're going to see people praising God with their, with their, their voices, with their bodies. It's, it's an offering of love to him. You can do that. You can sit here and, 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 and kind of just, I don't know, uh, meditate a little bit and reflect on the reality of Easter. And then Herrick's going to come up afterwards and he's going to kind of give us next steps, pastor us a little bit, and then we're going to head out to baptism, okay? Hear me. If we can assist you in any way, in any way, even if you're out of town, you live out of town, you're just visiting. If we can assist you in any way in your discipleship to Jesus, we love to serve you. No strings attached, okay? Love you very much. Enjoy him for a bit, and then Eric will be up in about five minutes. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you that you sent your son to be our living hope. Your son died for us and was raised, and it's because of him that death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Our false saviors have been outed. And he has emerged as the true savior of the world. And I thank you that he offers us himself. And that is a gift that I pray that none of us pass up today. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out real quick.
some good stuff today. I think that was just one thing to hold on to. For those of you especially who have been in the church for a while, and maybe you know, could be at different places with the church, but you always have the choice of discipleship or departure every day, essentially. We have the choice, and he dignifies us with that choice of what we do with our lives, of how we respond to situations, of what we look to to deliver us and rescue us. He dignifies us with choice. Discipleship or departure, we face that every single day. Maybe for, for some of you, you're, you don't necessarily have a meaningful connection to the church. Maybe you've never been a part of one. I just want to leave you with this. He is the only Savior who's worthy of our praise or worship. He's the only one who can actually deliver. We're going to spend the summer looking at the Psalms, and we're going to talk about that over and over again. He's the refuge, our safe rock. He's our deliverer, and that's been true generation after generation, and we're going to go deep into that. So I want to invite you, journey with us if you want to learn more. With that said, there was a few things that came up that I just want to put in front of you. Uh, A few things that came up. Every week we have men and women who are praying for our gathering. They meet out front uh, around nine o'clock to pray. And there's people that are praying throughout the gathering for you. And some things came up uh, this morning that I just want to put before you, and if any of this resonates with you, there's going to be people in the back that have lanyards. You guys can just raise your hands real quick. They're in the back. They've got lanyards. You can easily find them, and they'd love to pray for you, and we'll have a few minutes where that can happen before baptism. So, work through this quick. Get real practical to start with. Uh, There's a sense this morning that there might be somebody here who has physical pain, maybe in your left shoulder, and you're feeling it, and I don't know. This may be your invitation to go get prayer. The men and women in the back would love to pray for healing of all kinds, including physical healing. Paul talked about what he experienced. I don't know know where Paul is. Paul's in the back. He can pray for you. The guy that got healed. (laughs) Love to pray for you. So pain in your left shoulder, go get prayer. Uh, If you're here and for some reason there's someone that's, that's like heavy on your heart, there's a specific, couple specific names that actually came up and I have no... No knowledge of this. This could be completely, <laughs> completely off. But if there's a Matthew or a Miguel in your life that's just like got you, gripped your heart and your mind, maybe somebody that you love deeply, somebody who's going through something difficult, or just somebody that you care about, go get prayer. It would seem like um, the that that request that you have in your heart, like God wants to meet you in it. So if that resonates with you, go get prayer. And last but definitely not least, um, there was a sense of potentially um, a, a person, or maybe it could be people, whom God wants to lovingly offer himself to you because you have looked to other things to rescue you. Potentially even uh, things that you know aren't good for you, that end up hurting you more than they actually end up helping you. If that resonates with you, there's a, the picture was of God like embracing Come to me like a gentle, loving parent who loves their kids too much to see them run off into other things that might be harmful and dangerous. So if you feel like that's for you, go get prayer. With that said, if we can help you in any way, whether you're, this is your first time, you've been here for a long time, we would love to help you. I don't know where, where's Rosie? Rosie? There she is. There's Rosie. Uh, she can get your info. You can find me. And uh, Tom will be right here, so we'd love to help you. Last thing, real quick housekeeping point. Uh, If you want to go get prayer, you have a few minutes, go do that. Otherwise, I want to kindly ask if you have kids that you go grab your kids and then meet us outside through these doors because we're going to do baptism. We're just going to dive into it in a few minutes. With that said, I want to close it. It It'll be a soft close. You can go get prayer or go grab your children and then meet us outside if you're able to stay and hang out. If you can't, if you've got plans, thank you for being with us here on Easter. If you can stick around, I think it'll be worth your while. Enjoy. Enjoy.